0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Briefing for 2021. It is Monday, January the 18th. I'm Tom Tilly.
1: And I'm Annika Smethurst and this is our second year of doing The Briefing now. Last year was a pretty wild start to a new daily podcast and 2021 is already looking pretty bizarre too, Tom. If this COVID situation and the chaos in Washington is anything to go by.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening last year, thank you so much and welcome back to this year. And if you're new to the briefing... Basically, each weekday we bring you a quick 20-minute hit of the news that's worth knowing. It's in your podcast feed at 6am so you can listen with your morning coffee or when you're exercising, travelling to work. or uh, We even got one message over Christmas, Annika, from a teacher who told us they were playing the briefing in the classroom.
1: I don't know why, but that made me feel nervous that all these students <laughs> were sitting there listening. Look, the first half of the show will bring you the really important news of the day and then in the second half we'll go deeper on a big story In our briefing topic, for example, today we're going to look at Joe Biden's inauguration. He'll be sworn in on Thursday morning our time. The big
0: question will be, Annika, and it will be probably the biggest story of the week, is will there be the kind of chaos uh, and the violence we saw 12 days ago when that pro-Trump mob marched on Capitol Hill and ended up uh, killing five people?
1: Hopefully not. We'll cross to Washington for today's briefing, but first, here are the big news stories of the day.
0: The Australian Open is in chaos with a fifth international arrival testing positive to COVID-19.
1: It means players on a third chartered flight from Doha to Melbourne on Saturday will be unable to train during the two weeks of quarantine.
0: Yeah, so the number of people forced into hard isolation now has risen to 170 and 72 of them are players. That means they can't leave their hotel room to train on the court. Retired Aussie tennis player Pat Cash told the project that means their chances of winning are grim.
2: There's no chance, no chance that, that the any, of that. certainly the men who have got to play five sets in the heat, they might, you might might as well write off that any chance of winning in Australia.
1: Some players have complained they didn't know this was how it would work, but New Zealand tennis player Artem Satak said... They were actually warned about this.
2: We had a call with Tennis Australia about a month ago and um, not a lot of players were on that call, which was surprising to me.
0: Satak is one of the 72 in hotel quarantine, but he said he feels lucky.
2: I think we need to... uh put some things in perspective where a lot of Australians right now cannot get back home because of the restrictions and all that. And we as foreigners, you know, over a thousand people, we're here in Australia. We, uh, we're going to be competing in the Grand Slam, earning a lot of money.
1: And Australian Medical Association President Dr Omar Koshid has told us international players do actually pose a really significant risk.
2: We have to acknowledge that uh, COVID is just absolutely everywhere around the
0: world at the moment and you'd be surprised if there aren't a number of people bringing COVID into Australia as part of this event. Yeah, and that's got people really concerned, Annika. You've actually just moved to Melbourne. You'll be the state political reporter for The Age. And clearly there seems to be some tension, especially in Melbourne, about the risks we're taking for the tennis, but then at the same time not allowing Victorians to get back home across the New South Wales border.
1: Yeah, look, it's something people are pretty upset about. They might be joking. I've heard a lot of people stuck over the borders saying they're going to work on their forehand or their backhand <laughs> to try and get into the state. But there is actually a really good, difficult element about this. A lot of people's summers were ruined. They had a lot of goodwill for the government during the year, during uh, some of those really strict measures. They went away over summer and there's still heaps of people trapped away from their home. And yet we're allowing all these tennis players to come in, some of them from really high risk countries where some of those really strong strains are. And I think it's going to be quite controversial, especially if one of those strains does get into the community.
0: So what's your read? Do you think people are overall happy the tennis is still going ahead or they they feel like it was the wrong option?
1: Uh, Look, there was talk of maybe postponing it. That's what they've done with the Grand Prix. You don't want to lose an event like this. It means so much to Melbourne. Holding it is a really important thing for not just Australia, but Victoria. And if you let something like this go, there is a chance that we wouldn't get it back. But I don't know why they couldn't have delayed it a little bit more. They've already delayed it once, but maybe for a number of months.
0: All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see the tennis courts of Albury. Maybe there's some good tennis going down there as people (laughs) wait at the border. Australia's medical regulator is probing the deaths of 30 elderly people who were given the Pfizer vaccine in Norway.
1: All of them were over 75, seriously ill and had weeks or perhaps months to live.
0: Yeah. So Norway's peak medical body says there's no certain link with the vaccine and the deaths and that they're not alarmed by 30 deaths out of 40,000 vaccinations.
1: Australia's Therapeutic Goods Administration is reportedly considering adding a warning for terminally ill or frail patients when the vaccine rollout begins next month.
0: Yeah, so clearly everyone's watching this closely and pretty worried about the vaccine and its, you know, potentially unforeseen Impacts. I guess it's a real question mark about people's confidence here, isn't it?
1: That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? You know, if you are terminally ill, you wouldn't want to get COVID as well. But what the regulators don't want is people questioning this vaccine. And every time we hear these stories, uh, we're hearing more and more people get a little bit nervous about it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why the health minister has not wanted to rush the the approval with the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So that's. Uh, Expected to happen next month. A lot of people were really critical that it wasn't happening sooner, given it had been approved in the UK. But I think maybe now they're thinking not such a bad thing.
1: Still talking vaccines and people who refuse one could be banned from pubs and clubs in New South Wales.
0: Yeah, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has told the Daily Telegraph she wants to uh, incentivise uptake and that requiring mandatory vaccinations to enter certain venues is one way to do it.
1: The state government can't actually mandate this, but they can urge venues to do it. Qantas has already said that people who aren't vaccinated won't be able to catch flights.
0: And the Aussie cricket team's out to build on a 54-run lead when their second innings resumes at none for 21 on day four at the Gabba.
1: Dave Warner is unbeaten on 20, while Marcus Harris is on one. Now, Josh Hazelwood claimed five wickets yesterday, and he told Fox Sport it was tough going on the field.
0: Wicket's still pretty good. There's a few cracks, but there's not too much happening there. So hopefully they open up, but, yeah, get a nice lead now and have another bowl over. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how David Warner goes. He struggled for runs, but he's still at the crease. And it's been a fascinating test series so far. Um, the Sydney one was really interesting with India hanging on for a draw. So great to see what happens at the Gabba. In a moment, we're going to take you to Washington, D.C.
1: When Joe Biden is sworn in on Thursday morning, our time, it'll be one of the most unusual inauguration ceremonies in history.
0: Yeah, and there are three main reasons for that. One is COVID. Two is the violent pro-Trump riot on Washington's Capitol Hill 12 days ago. And the third is Trump himself.
1: This will be the first inauguration since 1869 where the outgoing president won't be in attendance.
0: Yeah, and instead of hundreds of thousands of people watching on in Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington... There'll just be 1,000 people in attendance and security will be next level.
1: To find out how tight security will be and what the risk of more violence is, we're joined by US political reporter for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, Matthew Knott.
0: Matthew Knott, thank you so much for joining us again on The Briefing. Just how big is the security presence in Washington for the big day?
2: Oh, it's incredible here, the security presence. I've never seen anything like it, having lived here for quite a while now. Uh, and it's expanding every day. This perimeter in the downtown uh, area traffic is uh, really limited in terms of where you can go in DC, a very noticeable uh, military presence, you know, camouflaged offices everywhere, uh, everywhere you go, uh, a big uh, fence uh, around the, the Capitol building and the White House. And people are just really uh, steering clear of it because you're going to get caught uh, down there. It's, it's uh, people, you know, who've lived here for decades, say so they've never seen anything like it, even after 9-11.
0: Well, it was such a massive security fail on January 6th. Have we learned why they are incapable of stopping that mob from storming Congress with weapons? And do we now have the, the confidence that security will get it right this time?
2: Well, that's the thing. It, there was just was not enough last time. It's a big difference to January 6th, where there wasn't, anything like this. It was basically just uh, police and some barriers around the capital, which is supposed to be so secure. Uh, they're still investigating why there was this massive fail, you know, why agencies like the FBI hadn't picked up all this uh, chatter. It was well known that, that rally was going to happen and that uh, you know many of the people believe the election had been stolen and wanted to do something about it. So there's going to be inquiries into it. That's still to be determined as to why the authorities were so unprepared for that day.
1: Matthew, a lot of Trump supporters do feel like the election was stolen. So how likely is it that we will see violence from pro-Trump extremists? You know, what are intelligence saying about what might happen?
2: The things that the agencies are most worried about now is perhaps not in D.C. because it is so uh, fortified and and it's going to be hard for people to get close to the capital where Biden is going to be inaugurated. People are w- really worried about the state capitals uh, all over the country, um, that that they're being also very much locked down and, and cordoned off because they're seen as more vulnerable perhaps now, you know, and people not traveling to DC, they might do something in their homes, you know, in Michigan or Pennsylvania or something to do something bad there. So all over the country, in state capitals, this is something that people are worried about. It's not just here in Washington.
1: And a number of those protesters have been locked up and are facing charges. What are they actually facing? And will that limit, I guess, the risk this week because some of them are already been detained, some of those sort of mob leaders?
2: Yeah, people are being arrested day by day. You know, the, the authorities announce more arrests. You know, it's basically trespassing and things like that or theft because that was an interesting about most many of these people. They were operating with a sense of that they weren't going to be punished. They were posting this on social media. They were happy to give their names out to journalists. You know, they've been quite easily identified. So whereas now people you know, have seen that there are consequences uh, for participating in an action like this. So you know, anyone but the most hardcore people are hopefully going to stay away and let the inauguration operate.
0: Matthew, for people that have never watched an inauguration, it might be the first time they really took an interest in US politics because Trump drew them in because basically no one could look away for the last <laughs> four years. Can you explain what normally happens at the inauguration? What does it look like?
2: Oh, yeah, it's a huge event. Uh, there's usually uh, you know tens of thousands of people. The members of Congress get these tickets and they distribute them uh, very widely to people in their districts. So people come from all over the country to it. Uh, there's usually a big parade. And, you know, an important part of that is the departing president uh, handing over to the incoming president. So there's usually a clear moment, you know, where they shake hands and and do this parade together down Pennsylvania Avenue. Then you'll have the president-elect gives a big speech, which is really setting up, you know, what they want to achieve in their presidency, what this moment means. Trump gave a very famous and controversial speech about American carnage, which stood out for being very dark and bleak, like, and that kind of set the tone for where his administration was going to go. But so this year, it's really scaled back, not just because of the security, but because of the pandemic. You know, the mayor here has told people not to come. Airbnb automatically refunded everyone's booking if they'd booked to come to Washington. So there's not going to be the same level of crowds watching. Uh, Biden is still going to give a speech and still be sworn in, but they're doing a lot of it virtually because it's also usually uh, uh, entertainment, you know, performers are singing big balls, lavish balls that they use for fundraising. Uh, most of that is not happening this year. It's it's very much a scaled back event.
1: And Matthew, once the Biden family has taken office, we talk about the first 100 days in politics, but how quickly do you think there will actually be a noticeable change? What's the first thing he's promising to do and how quickly will that be felt in the community?
2: I think he's going to make a big impact because he's going to do a lot on his first day, things that he can do with executive action, you know, not having to go through Congress and pass legislation, things he can do really with the strike of a pen. So that's things like re-entering the Paris Climate Accord. He's expected to do that on day one, uh, ending the... um, Ban on people coming from Muslim majority countries—big things like that—that that he's expected to do on day one. You know, he could also spread them out, but I think he wants to come in and make a big statement about the the new era. Um, one of the tricky things is with this impeachment trial of Trump in the Senate—that's going to take up a lot of time and energy and oxygen. But Biden would really rather be more focused on things like his efforts to, you know, pass uh, legislation to get on top of coronavirus. Instead, the focus is still going to be on Trump. But there's a lot of things like that that are going to set a signal to the world that uh, America is back on the international stage, joining, that, rejoining the World Health Organization, things like that. He's going to do all that very quickly.
1: The impeachment was something we wanted to ask about, Matthew. Look, Trump has been impeached again by the House, at least. And what do you think about that decision? Surely, doesn't it just give... Trump a reason to keep fighting and his supporters a reason to keep fighting, wouldn't relevance deprivation do just as good a job?
2: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people wonder that. It is strange. Um, I don't think it's how anyone would have wanted it to go to have an impeachment so late in the presidency and this trial happening after he's left office. It just, you know, they do say it is possible to bar him from off- office and, you know, convict him when he's not there but that's not something that's ever been done for a presidency. It loses that immediacy because it's not about removing him. He's already gone. And yeah, as you say, it's keeping him in the headlines when many people in America kind of want to move on and leave him behind. And what the Democrats say is just simply that what he did in terms of encouraging the assault on the Capitol was so bad that you had to uh, impeach him again. You know, he is the first president to be impeached twice. So it's it is a kind of symbolic punishment that will be remembered in history forever. But yeah, it's still unclear whether it's something they might regret down the line when they're trying to, you know, tie up the bow. Because it's it's just a very strange situation to have a Senate trial for president who's already out of office.
0: Does the Senate trial have to happen, and do the you know Republicans have to turn on him and uh, in order to convict him? Does that is that what is required for him to not be allowed to be president? Ever again or or is that already um, the case after the vote in the in the House of Representatives?
2: No, no. He could still as it stands now, he could still run again in twenty twenty four if he wanted and if he won, he could be the president again. But yeah, the impeachment from the House is pretty symbolic in that regard. Um the Senate does have to deal with it. You know, it's not an option for them just to leave us behind under the constitution. They have to have this trial. But it's such a high bar. It's a two-thirds majority of the Senate, which would require 17 Republican senators to vote to convict Trump, which is just seen as a really, really high bar here. Some are very angry at what he's done, and you know he's cost them their Senate majority. But you know some of them will just say, look, it's time to move on and leave it behind. Because, yeah, if they did convict him of inciting the insurrection, then he could be a ban from ever running again. Uh, yeah. which would be a big deal. That would be a first.
0: Just one last question, Matthew. When a lot of people sort of started 2021, they were hoping it was going to be very different from the bizarre year we had last year. But then we saw the <laughs> violence on Capitol Hill, which was more of this Trump era mayhem. The numbers on COVID infections in the US and UK and other countries is still horrific. And there was a sense that it was basically going to be groundhog year. What's your feeling? Do you think that's going to be the case? Or do you think this inauguration itself could symbolise a real sense of moving forward and and actually bringing the change that everyone's hoping for.
2: Yeah, politically, no, I think it is going to be a big change that will be noticed in terms of the rhythm and the tone, you know, of political life, or even just the fact that Trump is not on Twitter for the foreseeable future. You know, everyone has had this kind of permanent sense of anxiety, like he's going to tweet in the middle of the night and make all these policy decisions, you know. There's been so fast-paced, so much drama, so much scandal that's definitely going to stop the way Biden's already operating. It's very traditional, you know, policy briefings, announcing things, laying out a plan. So political life is going to slow down, I think, from the craziness of the Trump era. But everything is not solved. You know, things like the vaccine rollout, I I and many other people, it was such a moment of optimism at the end of last year to see people getting vaccinated. But the rollout here is not going well. It's going much slower than they'd hoped for. So it's kind of like it might take a bit longer, you know, not even the American summer in June or July. That's maybe it's not looking like things going to be back to normal by then. It's going to be later in the year. So I think there's just a sense of reality is is kicking in that this uh, whole COVID terrible situation here is not going away just because it's a new year.
0: All right, that was Matthew Knott, who's a North America correspondent for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, which means he's a colleague of yours now,
1: Annika. He is, and I think he's picking up a little bit of a US accent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can imagine how that happens. Look, Tom, I don't know about you, but I just sort of think, let him go. You know, we know Trump really does love uh, being in the headlines and, and being the reason that people want to fight. Whilst what he did was, you know inexplicable. Isn't it time to just, for the country to move on? How do you feel about this?
0: So you're talking about you know, the decision to impeach him by the Democrats in the House? Absolutely. Yeah, um, look I think it's a it's a really tricky one. Yeah, he does trade on, on conflict and that's what they were doing and the whole era was marked by this division and people being pushed to the extremes and the solution is not to sort of push further into the extremes. Um, potentially it is to find the middle ground. Um, I understand the temptation to do what they did because they were hoping if he was convicted by the Senate that he couldn't be president again. And for people who are really traumatized by his presidency, that was probably feeling like, you know, something worth fighting for. But I don't think the Republicans will turn on him in big enough numbers to actually convict him in that trial. Therefore, you might end up in this messy stage where he hasn't been convicted and his supporters have just got another arrow in their quiver, more ammunition.
1: Mm, and he's got more reason to get up there and, and, you know, be in the limelight as this continues in the in the coming weeks. Look, I do understand that it's the standard you walk by and the Democrats were put in a pretty difficult position there in what they do. They had to set a standard, but it just means the Trump circus rolls on.
0: Well, it'll be an amazing event to watch on Thursday morning. Our time will bring it all to you here on the briefing, keep you up to date on the big developments there. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to take a look at Bitcoin I got a feeling there's a chance you had a conversation about Bitcoin over the summer break because the price of it was just absolutely going through the roof. We'll find out if it's too late to buy it and how far it's come as being a legitimate currency tomorrow on the briefing. A
1: podcast one production.